Welcome to On the Wet Coast, a podcast about sexuality and ethical non-monogamy of every variety. We talk polyamory and swinging, monogamish and open relationships, from dirty, dirty sex to heartbreak. We share our personal experiences and philosophy, observations and theories, what works for us, and where we fucked it right up. Join us on the Wet Coast. We're always told that confidence is sexy, but how do we find the confidence to be our true sexual selves? How do we embrace our bodies and our kinks so that we can enjoy the kinds of sex we desire? Finding the confidence in ourselves while living in a society that is all about tearing us down is incredibly challenging. Figuring out how to put ourselves out there as confident sexual beings is a lot more difficult than simply deciding to do so. Learning to get comfortable with awkwardness is one of the keys to sexual confidence. Another is knowing that just about everyone else out there feels the same way that you do. Learning to shake off negative body thoughts and embrace the things that you bring to the table can help. Listening to tips from the Smarty we're talking to today is another great way to build that confidence. I'm Kat Stark, and on this episode of On the Wet Coast, Flick Morrison and I are discussing sexual confidence with the extremely fabulous Luna Matadas. Luna Matadas is a sex, pleasure, and body confidence educator with over 10 years' experience teaching sexual health and wellness workshops. She celebrates body confidence, self-adoration, and building shame-free pleasure in our lives. Luna is a self-identified craft slut. She created the famous The Patriarchy shirt as part of her line of sex-positive and feminist merch. You can easily find Luna making nipple pasties, talking about butt stuff, or helping couples and singles through pleasure coaching. Welcome, Luna. Yay, thank you. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to chat with you two <laughs> and to talk about like this fabulous topic. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to have you here. And, and really, it's like, it's such a brain glitch that on our part that we didn't have you on here like way sooner. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I knew the invitation would come. <laughs> well, I think you've, I think you got the, your pig, the patriarchy shirt like two years ago or oh, s- possibly three or four. Possibly. Oh. <laughs> so you were in like the first cohort of like peg, the patriarchy people. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. We, we saw them after, I think a group had, um, uh, you'd sent a group of the shirts down to Woodhull or something and yes. people had them. And I was like, I need that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm so glad to have it on you. <laughs> <laughs> And it's always funny when you're at a convention wearing that shirt, like everybody knows it and they're like, Hey, Luna, <laughs> you know, we, yeah. Well, so. and it's, it's, it's fun when you wear it out into muggle spaces because, you know, f- people will often notice it and get really excited, you know, yeah. not knowing the origin, but just, you know, it's like, so enjoying true. This, yeah. Enjoying yeah. the sentiment. Yes. I actually made a new friend when they looked at it and went, what are we doing to the patriarchy? Because they couldn't quite see. And I said, pegging it. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> and then we were friends. Oh, it's bringing people together. Yes. <laughs> so you normally teach in Toronto. I do, yes. Yeah. And like you sometimes travel around and take your workshops to lots of other places, but your Toronto is your main base. Yeah, Toronto's where I teach most of the time um, at the feminist sex shops here and sometimes the sex clubs or private parties. Um, But I'm so lucky I get to be all over the place, wherever these superhero sex shops are and uh, that are prioritizing education. So um, I've had lots of great times in the States and other parts of Canada, too. But I haven't made it out to the West Coast yet. 
I know, you have to come here. Well, I mean, it's so much easier for you to travel down to like Atlanta and the D.C. area than it is to come to Vancouver. It's so true. Our big-ass country. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's too big. If any Americans are confused, we're talking about Toronto, as you might pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) But to most Canadians, it's Toronto. That was a very good cultural interpretation moment. (laughs) (laughs) Part of our heritage. (laughs) So you teach a huge range of workshops. I do. From like... Everything from plus size sexy, get your groove back, breast pleasure, cock and ball torture, seducing the butt, pee play, and like that, the list was much longer than yeah. that. <laughs> Those were just your favorites. Those were just my favorites. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a tapas of like sexy <laughs> skills. Um, and I teach such a wide range because I was married for a long time in a monogamous relationship that didn't have really good communication. We didn't know how to relate to each other. And so when I got out of it, I, I had what I call my my years of fuckery. And so I was just trying to like figure out, well, am I into this? Am I kinky? Am I into that? And it gave me a lot of exposure to um, kind of self-reflecting on, on all this stuff and like what I had learned sex was and then what I was experiencing what sex could be. Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of adults, you know, um, even if it's not due to separation, but just, uh, you know, changes in the relationship often have a kind of sexual rumspringa somewhere in their 30s or 40s. That's so true. It's where you get a little bit more fearless, a little bit less unapologetic or more unapologetic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what have I missed all this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, where was I? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and less of the, like, oh, if I admit that I'm into this, like, everyone in my life is going to abandon me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or it it means I'm a freak. I think it was, like, a a big part of my identity um, kind of transformation is was kind of discovering, you know, what sexually, creatively, erotically could come together for me if I allowed myself to kind of stop judging myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we both experienced that really significantly ourselves when we decided to open up our marriage and and it opened up a lot of communication that we had just things we had never really talked about um, of interest that we had. And so even between us, it changed our sex life because we were like, oh, okay, well, I actually feel comfortable confessing some of these things. Yeah, and and sort of unlocking those like secret dusty boxes, um, it, it brings a lot of like uh, liberation and authenticity to the other parts of your life because yeah. you don't have all these like, you know, secret shames that you're in denial even to yourself about. That's so true. I think for me, it definitely helped me take up more space in other areas of my life that I needed to redefine or, you know, reclaim and exploring sexually was just like, well, if I can do this, (laughs) you know, I can can transfer this energy over here. And yeah, it just, I felt a lot more self-acceptance as I started to explore. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I I really discovered, um, again, once becoming non-monogamous and, and going and exploring in kind of either, you know, sexual or not necessarily sexual, but naked spaces, is one of the best ways to build body confidence for me was just to see more bodies mm-hmm. um, and just see how normal mine was in comparison to everybody else's. It's like, oh, those boobs are like mine and that butt's like mine and oh, they're, they look different, but like 
we just so often the bodies that we see, you know, through media, etc., are so, you know, like cultivated and in such a narrow range that we forget that real people look different than that. And especially mm-hmm. once we get to see them naked, um, it really it changes a lot of that. Yeah, I think I think we see bodies all the time that are are tamed and you know sort of like performing for um, you know standards of beauty that not all of us signed up for and you know or, or created or even want, um, but yet they hold a lot of power. And so I love I love what you captured about being in naked spaces and um, having that nude positivity where you can kind of see like lots of people have pubes, lots of people don't have pubes, and people are jiggling or stretch marking. And, and still feeling good and still connecting and having a really good time. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, the breasts or testicles are different sizes and shapes. And yeah. <laughs> one hangs differently the, than the other. And just all of these things that... Yeah, nobody's perfectly even. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We'd never know unless, you know, you actively seek it out. So that was one of the real, real game changers for me. Well, I mean, one uh, fam- famously, uh, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, Cindy Crawford said, you know, I wish I looked like Cindy Crawford. Um, <laughs> b- because a lot of the idealized bodies we see, you know, it's, 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 it's about the way they're shot. It's about, you know, the lighting. It's about, you know, capturing the right angles and that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so, yeah, like seeing, seeing people that, you know, seeing our own bodies, um, out there in the world, um, you know, can, can help to help us to, to feel more confident and more, more at ease with, uh, you know, and, but I, you know, I also don't think that, uh, everybody needs to love their body, right? Like your, I feel like your body is, um, it, it can just be an apartment that you live in. And I think that it's good to be okay with it, but I don't think you need to love everything about it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's such a, um, an unattainable standard to yes. to kind of like measure your confidence up against and that I'm not body positive or I'm not body accepting if I'm not completely in love with my body. And yeah. I think, I think you make a great point. Like it's wonderful to sort of neutralize like these feelings over favor or rejection of our bodies and even focus on their function or their feelings or just sort of, you know, something else other than our, our physical appearance. Well, because the, you know, the, the, the desire for everybody to to you know be in love with their their own bodies, it, it can become just another thing to fail and be short of. It's like you know you know you're feeling guilty because you don't love your body enough. Absolutely, yeah. And who needs more shame? We don't yes. need it. <laughs> you know, shame on top of shame. Like it's not. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I think I struggled with that for a long time. Where mm. I thought, um, I think I'm only coming into it now, where I can definitely practice moments of, of self adoration that have nothing to do with my physical self, and mm. um, even kind of accepting and, and practicing that. Um, sort of writing a new script about your body and, and the one that you had before is probably served to you by a variety of industries making money off of, you know, you not feeling enough and, yeah. and really kind of, you know, saying, well, well, does this really matter that I'm not, I don't have six packs or a six pack or, you know, perfect thighs or perfect nose or whatever it is. Um, and really sort of moving past that idea of that, that perfection even matters and yeah. kind of like, well, this is my nose. 
<laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Maybe it's a little crooked, but it doesn't mean that I'm a horrible person that's never going to find a partner or a job or success or clothes or things like that. We're told that are really powerful motivators for people chasing the perfect nose or the perfect abs. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we often need to remember that other people aren't judging us nearly as harshly as we're judging ourselves. Mm. So true. Yeah, the spotlight effect, it feels like everyone's looking at us, but, you know, it's... Yeah, and even, like, you know, in in play partners and the people I'm attracted to, I don't look at them and think, oh, this is flawed, and oh, you know, you've got a bit of acne on your butt, and, you know, like, you know, or you've got a roll here, or this isn't, you know, perfect, or, like, I don't look at my partners that way, like, it's like, am I attracted to you? Am I not attracted to you? But I don't break it down that way, yet, when I'm looking at myself, I... I do break it down that way. And I kind of assume that everybody else is doing that to me. Yet I'm this magical, wonderful person <laughs> who, who doesn't judge everyone else. And yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like we're, we're so um, taught to see ourselves as parts and almost like cuts of meat. And yeah. you know, like, what this is and and I can look in the mirror and I, I've been like feeling great and then I'll zone in on one part and for somehow for some reason it sort of like steals all of that other emotion from me because I'm told that this one part is you know not conforming to what would give me desire and attraction and power and you know lots of wow. things I mean, the some of them are very real consequences and some of them are sort of you know inflated <laughs> ideas around ego and um, I love that you say that there's, you know, your play partners are not necessarily, you're not grading them according to attractions of different parts. Cause we know that attraction is also a feeling and, mm -hmm. and, a presence. Yeah. And I, I found that I often end up being attracted to more people that look like people I'm attracted to mm. because that becomes something that I'm attracted to, even if it wasn't necessarily like, Oh, I love this. You know, this is my type. This is my favorite body. This is my favorite, whatever. But like, it just evokes something. Yeah. Like when you find, like you have all these feelings about that particular person, it, it sort of like, um, transitions onto other people. And, and it's really, it's quite fascinating that I, that I noticed I start like looking at people that I, that I wouldn't necessarily before have been like perving on. Yeah. It's like, Oh, they remind me of this person. And then it's like, Oh, tingle, tingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're creating your own Pavlovian like responses. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? for yeah. Sure. I love that. I love that it inspires attraction um and other people who, who now have like a similar build or, or whatever it is um because it's like if you open up your mind a little bit then you get more space to do that you have more space to kind of um not be so narrow around attraction and connect it to what the experience or feeling was a friend of mine uh once once said you know um maybe you don't think that you're attractive because maybe you're just not your type <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's pretty great, right? Because we can understand that. So it, it can be a way to sort of abstract that a little bit. It's like, oh, you know, maybe maybe I'm, I'm just not into this, but other, you know, maybe I'm somebody else's type. It, it can be a great way to sort of reprogram that. that I love those that. Feelings. I'm going to steal that. Totally steal it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really great way to look at it. Yeah, and I think um, in my classes, like I, I tend to have the group 
uh, redefine what we think of as sexy. And so if someone sexy walks into the room, you know, what are what are we taking in about them that's attractive or sexy or confident? And often it, it does include some physical things, but more often than not, it also includes things that appeal to our other senses, you know, other than sort of just an aesthetic. And people will talk about presence or how that person makes them feel or how they're, you know, where their eyes are gazing or what their body um, stature or posture sort of looks like. And not just, oh, well, they had big biceps or they had, you know, thick top, thick thighs or whatever it is. Um, and just kind of even like asking yourself to, to open up a bit about, you know, checking on how you determine or get um, attracted to someone can help you find out what biases you're you're holding on to. Right. Um, yeah, I was holding on to a lot of internal fat phobia that I was projecting onto um, partners that were potential partners because I wanted someone taller and bigger than me. And I didn't know it was about me sort of feeling like I need to be the smaller one. Um, and so when I started looking at that, I thought, this is ridiculous. Like, what if someone who's, you know, five, nine and out of the range that I was looking at has an amazing personality and is going to give me a really good time or eats pussy really well. And I'm <laughs> on this person because of a few inches, like <laughs> so checking my own bias kind of helped me see, you know, that this is, I'm also, um, engaging in this kind of objectification and missing out on opportunities. I th- I do think that there can that that it's really easy to have a kind of split in your brain between what you naturally find attractive and what your your sort of brain and aesthetic assessment tells you is attractive and you know and so it can create this actual disconnect between your real attractions and just sort of your aesthetic assessment to some people. Ooh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I definitely think um, that split is um, happens for most of us. And, and so most of us have this kind of um, duality between like what we're told we're supposed to be attracted to and, and what we're sort of naturally attracted to. And um, yeah, I think that's where also we get people kind of coming up with, you know, well, that's just what I'm into. And <laughs> that may be great. But I mean, yeah, um, it, it's what you're into, but that it's still worth examining. Exactly. Right. Worth, yeah. You know, why, why is it that I'm into this? And, you know, and sometimes you can sort of feel around for exceptions, right? So mm-hmm. maybe all your life you've, you've only been attracted to your own race, but you mm-hmm. can think of people of, you know, of other races that are exceptions to that and maybe like poke at that and see, well, why are they, why are they exceptions? Why, why do I not have sort of a, a broader, a, you know, a, attraction? So. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you talk a lot of, we, we talk a lot about confidence and people say confidence is sexy and, um, it, but it's also really hard for people to just decide to be confident. That's not really a thing, is it? No. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. And when, and when people try, it comes off, it, you know, it like, it comes off as fake and, and, you know, people try to to present, you know, arrogance and that kind of thing. And that just, that just turns people off. Yeah. And I think that comes from people thinking that confidence is sort of an attitude or you kind of like fake your way till you make it kind of thing. And Mm. I sort of approach confidence more um, from a place of of letting go of of self-judgment and kind of feeling that uh, you're unapologetic about taking up this erotic space and the erotic experience that, that you want. 
Um, but also really thinking about um, the idea that, that sex is not performance. And oftentimes we're going into sex and feeling like we don't have the bodies, we have weird desires, you know, maybe um, we're not sure what we're doing. And so we go in looking for favor or rejection and sort of affirmation and, and validation. And that's okay. I mean, it's great to feel those things, but it's hard to hang your whole experience and measure of that experience on somebody else's validation. And yeah, and it, it's absolutely a, a long process and I'm not confident all the time. I'm not sexually confident all the time, but being able to kind of bring yourself back to a place that isn't as far as where you started can also just help you open up to these types of experiences that we're talking about that can help you grow and build a stronger foundation. I wish it was right. as easy as if I, you know, you push a button and then someone delivers like Uber Eats with confidence, like to your door. <laughs> That'd I'm confident now. <laughs> I would like confidence with a side of fries. And <laughs> well, and, and I mean, that's often the advice that, you know, you'll see or, or you know, we're here and things It's someone will be like, oh, you know, I'm really insecure about this. and I don't know how to meet people. And they're like, be just confident. be confident. And it's like, <laughs> like, what? That's that's like asking somebody to be taller. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you need you need pieces. And that's when it does often come off as fake. And, and I know that, you know, like, sometimes I have to, it's not entirely a performance, but like put, make myself bigger than I am, kind mm-hmm. of, or I'm feeling in that moment and, and project that. But sometimes it does really come across as this kind of manic, obnoxious <laughs> thing, <laughs> because it's really hard to just like, just dial it up that tiny bit. And um, like, when you get into that performance mode, it does often really read as fake. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that was sexy right there because that was vulnerable. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think yeah, I think it's it's hard to um, sort of um, swing the pendulum in in the right direction, like not necessarily towards like being super insecure or being like hyper arrogant. Um, but also recognizing like things like awkwardness and vulnerability and silly are all sexy. You know, we're presented with this narrow version of, of sexy and, and that's great, but like, that's maybe 1% of us that actually meet that. And we know that, um, there's lots of ways to kind of engage our senses in order to take in more, um, erotic pleasure and, and erotic creativity and, and create experiences that actually feel really sexy. So a lot of times um, in my classes, people will kind of talk about that they get into their head and then they start worrying about, you know, their tummy hang or, you know, their dick's not hard enough or and it's hard to be present in your other senses when you're lost in your head about, you know, your how you're not measuring up in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really, yeah, it's really easy to fall into your own head and, um, you know, and, and you, you, you spoke to something really important there, which is, um, uh, expressing, you know, expressing your vulnerability and be, and like, you know, openly owning your, you know, your insecurity actually projects confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can, so talking about how, you know, how, you know, how you might be feeling, you know, sheepish or, or insecure about something or you're in, like expressing those things clearly can, um, can actually project confidence, even if you're feeling the exact opposite. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And having partners that are affirming and invite that kind of um, communication is, is wonderful. And if you have a partner that doesn't, even just trying to create that conversation and making it safe for, for both of you to have it, because like chances are the person is also dealing with some kind of insecurity around their body, around their desires or around their own sort of performance. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, a lot of times uh, in my class, we'll also talk about ways to take up space more unapologetically in our bodies outside of a, a sexual situation. So we know what that feels like and something as simple as, you know, standing a little bit taller or with your legs wider apart and your shoulders back when you're getting your coffee at Starbucks. You know, the, the sort of the superhero pose <laughs> gives you that feeling of how you can connect your mind and your body and how they, they can actually work together because you start to resent your mind when it goes to these places. I mean, no one wants to be the sexually unconfident person. Um, and it can be really frustrating to not be able to rein that back in. Right. Yeah. And it, and it snowballs, right? When you, when you, when you feel smaller, you try to take up less, less space and, you know, and it turns your thoughts inward, you know, you, you crawl into your brain and that, you know, and that just makes you sort of less and less present. Absolutely. And you tornado, I call it sort of a, a thought tornado. And so you'll be thinking, oh, like, my body's not good enough. What if they don't like me? What if they don't have a good time? What if they move out? Where am I going to live? Who's going to get the cat? You know, and <laughs> it really goes into <laughs> like, these bigger, deeper uh, kind I'm gonna of... I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be living on the alone. street. I know, I have to get a lawyer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And so being able to even try and do some uh, practices around thought-stopping or, or speaking up when that's happening and kind of saying like, hey, I'm feeling a little bit out of my body. Can we cuddle a bit more or eye gaze or take a break or things like that? Um, and investing in mindful movement on your own and on your own time. So whether that's, you know, dancing around like a stripper. Um, I have knee pads specifically for this. I don't do sports. I only have them for <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and even smiling, you know, while you're brushing your teeth and catching your own gaze in, in the mirror and practicing those moments of not um, feeling so judged about yourself and, and how you're taking up space normally. Well, and especially for those of us who were, were you know, assigned female at birth and, and raised in that socialization of not really taking up space. Um and that's been something that has been really particularly challenging for me in this sort of thing. And and as you speak to that, it's like, yeah, that that has been something that has been really helpful for me. And I've, you know, I do try to practice it. You know, I take transit a lot. And it's so interesting to see a lot of the time, you know, the way that that men sit on the bus <laughs> um, and and to to just go and like, take up that space if there's a seat that they're like totally encroaching into or when I am sitting there and someone starts trying to encroach on my space I broaden my shoulders I make you know myself like bigger in the space as opposed to like making myself smaller as to accommodate them and it's it's quite a fascinating psychological shift just by like holding my body differently Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. You nailed it. That, that psychological shift, that energetic shift, um, that, um, awareness shift of where your body is and where it feels strong and grounded. Um, I feel like we should start a support group for like people <laughs> riding transit, trying to take up space <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or like femme spreading. I don't know. Like, like <laughs> 
Um, leave, and it, it's leave it hard. Leave for cats. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, <laughs> so good. Well, and I, I, a lot of people, a lot of people will go through most of their days with without actually feeling seen. Yes. And so it can help to. You know, to to find little moments to make eye contact with somebody, to you know maybe just have a quick little smirk before you before you look away, like just to to see and feel seen. Absolutely, absolutely, and and doing that with in by engaging with others, or um, you know taking five minutes to to do it when you're washing your hands in the bathroom and yeah. do it to your own gaze and just like give yourself a break and to really just kind of say, I see you and you're doing the best that you can. And you know, this is, this is where we are today. Um, it can be, it can be really just sort of making yourself feel special and, and owning that. And, and that special that encourages you and inspires you to take up more space. I mean, um, and Kat, I think it's so poignant to talk about um, all of the misogyny and patriarchy that has, you know, encouraged a lot of people to feel smaller and feel like they don't have a right to take up space. And also it's dangerous. Like if you try to take up the space that you're entitled to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one of, one of the uh, little exercises that, um, when we spoke to, uh, Marsha Baczynski recently, um, she said a friend of hers would like walk around for a day, like that everyone that they looked at, they think like that person thinks I'm hot. They think I'm hot. They think I'm hot. You know, and just repeating that like all the time kind of thing, just to like to get that that sort of feedback into your body and like just constantly giving yourself this little like, oh yeah, they want me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and it's sort of feeding that so it makes it, you know, especially for those of us with insecurities and stuff, to be able to like feel that feeling of being wanted, even if it's not necessarily true, but you're just feeding that into your system so your body learns to recognize it as opposed to just rejecting it flat out all the time. That's so true. And going to the default of I'm not good enough, I'm not attractive enough. Um, I had a therapist recommend that exercise to me, but they had also recommended doing the opposite. And so noticing how your thought changes really have an impact on your posture, your feeling, your emotion. And really, it's just a story that you're telling. You're telling one script or another script. And we don't know what people are thinking about us as, as we're passing them on the street. But it feels terrible to think that everyone thinks that you're, you know, horrible and awful. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that you have access to that power, um, you know, in varying strengths, but pretty much all the time. At first, an open marriage seems like the greatest thing in the world to Natalie and Sean. Adding a bunch of new, hot people to their already excellent sex life? What could be better? Then they meet Beth, a queer single mom with a lesbian partner, and things become complicated. After some fun dating as a threesome, Beth and Sean fall in love, and Natalie feels pushed to the side by both her former lover and her husband. As Sean and Beth begin celebrating new milestones and plan their first trip together as a couple, Natalie is thrown for a loop and longs for a time that being open felt sexy and fun. Natalie starts seeking that fun for herself and, after many naughty adventures and a few false starts, finds her own unexpected love. Join Natalie, Sean, and Beth in a funny, sexy, surprising story as they navigate the challenges of deciding that when it comes to the amount of love in their lives, they choose more. Get Cat Stark's new novel, Waking Up Polyamorous, in ebook or paperback at your favorite online retailer. 
So learning to like to pay attention to that kind of thing is another um, sort of segues into like paying attention to, you know, what the people around us, you know, like or into or, you know, even if we're like actually, you know, in a sexual situation, you know, really paying attention to the cues we're getting um, can be a thing because, again, we're often in our own head and just like the psych the sort of little script we have of like, okay, now we're going to do this and then I'm going to go over here and then, you know, this happens next and, and stuff. And, and rather than getting caught in that, just like paying attention to like what is happening in that moment and what is the other person's body doing? What is your body doing? And, um, can help Yeah, us. because it's, it's so easy to just tell, you know, get into the habit of telling yourself that, oh, every little interaction, oh, they're, they're not, they're not interested in me. They're just, they're just flirting or they're just, you know, they're just making a joke or, you know, they're, um, it, you know, like you can just dismiss everything or you can, you, you can pay attention and, you know, kind of, you know, watch, watch for, for real cues and, you know, and, um, and I, and I think that most of the time, uh, our intuition is right. It might not, you know, just because somebody finds us attractive doesn't mean that they actually want to sleep with us. It's, you know, there, there's a whole, um, gambit of possible, you know, escalations that need to happen between that. But I do think that, you know, when, uh, you know, when you sense a, a little bit of zing, it's, it's probably real. Yeah, I think being more attuned to all that stuff and even just more receptive. I think I spent many years being really flirt um, unaware and because I just didn't think that um, desirability was something I was offering. And so I just thought everyone was friendly and I could, <laughs> I could never tell if someone was flirting. Even when, you know, I kind of felt it was doing something, I convinced myself it wasn't. And so it's easy to talk ourselves out of, you know, being receptive and, and being open and um, being okay if, if there is rejection and if we're wrong. Well, it, it's a, it's a, it, when you're in the monogamous world, that pretense of, you know, of lack of attraction is part of the fiction that mm -hmm. sort of layers over top of that. So it, it does end up fucking with your intuition and your, and your, you know, sort of senses about everything. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. Um, that it, it sort of kind of infiltrates, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Into us and distorts them, how we're experiencing things. Well, and I think, you know, we all have the fear of like, what if I respond like they're flirting with me and I'm wrong? Like we have this, like this huge fear of like, what if I get the wrong, uh, you know, signal from this and then maybe, maybe I get more flirty and then they're like, oh yeah, that's not actually what I meant. Um, but like, what if we did that? You know? <laughs> it's, it's kind of like God forbid you were wrong once. Yeah, like yeah. we we have this huge fear of of being incorrect, and and I am so guilty of this because like even if a person is is like looking me in the eye saying like I'd really like to fuck you, I'm like oh they're probably just being friendly. <laughs> um, you know. Just, you know, as someone who has a lot of anxiety, I, you know, I'm just constantly, you know, downplaying everything. Um, but yeah, like, what would be the like this horrible, terrible tragedy if we were to just like, err on the other side of it for a change? <laughs> like, wow, I just like had this like, Wah! moment in my brain while we were talking here. Um, yeah. that, like, you know, take some risks and and be wrong. 
Well, a, a workshop that I took it with, um, with Little Woo at, at uh, Converge earlier this year, uh, one of the sort of, sort of, um, principles that she established at the beginning of the workshop was assume that you're among friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's so easy for, um, for us as anxious people to, to kind of, you know, um, be afraid of each other in a way, right? And be afraid of screwing up and be afraid of misinterpreting signals. Um, but if, if you, if you assume that you're among friends, you know, it, it might be okay to, to uh, make a mistake. It might be okay to, you know, flirt back a little bit. And it turns out that they were, you know, that, um, they were just being friendly, you know, like, like, like you said, like what, what could be the possible harm in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's, I I deal with anxiety too, and I find it's always looking for evidence of my worst thoughts. And right. so in that situation, if I'm just like, okay, but is this really happening? And if if they do reject me, what what is it actually going to mean? Yeah. It's yeah. going to mean maybe three seconds of awkwardness, and then life goes on. <laughs> yeah, but we imagine like everyone in the room is going to like turn <laughs> to us and like make the body snatchers noise. Or <laughs> I I feel like we should maybe put a warning for our listeners. <laughs> I think that should be somebody's ringtone. That was a great <laughs> content warning. Body snatcher scream. Yeah. <laughs> and and paying attention can be something to come up like when we actually like get to the point where we get to have the fun naked time. Right. You know, just really like you know, seeing what people are, are responding to and, um, you know, and reacting to that, you know, it's one of those, I think with the, the confidence that can come across this arrogance piece is it can sometimes be like, oh, well, you know, everyone else I've pleasured, like loves this. And so therefore I'm doing it right. Right. And, yeah. you know, you're maybe with a person that that just does not do anything for, and, you know, you're like, no, but, but people like this, I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, and so by, by sort of having the confidence to be like, I'm just going to learn what this body does and listen to, to what they're telling me either, you know, with their words or with their body response, um, can, you know, help us become, you know, better, better lovers, um, <laughs> better sexual partners. And, um, and that can, you know, can build our confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I love how you describe um, the the person who's just sort of like, well, this, this worked on everybody else, or, you know, men's health or Cosmo told me that these are the five things to do. And, <laughs> you know, I think we're, we're looking for a recipe. And really, we just need to be more curious and and kind yeah. of approaching it in a really curious and communicative way and i think that's where creativity comes from like that's how you avoid you know sort of feeling bored in the bedroom or or feeling like you've got an unresponsive partner um and curious could be you know oh like i wonder what the backs of your knees taste like like would you like <laughs> me to go down there you know and like it's <laughs> It's so, and then you give the person a chance to be like, no, I don't like that. I'm too ticklish. And you can be like, oh, okay, where else can I, can I lick you? I just want to taste you. And so it, it kind of really just helps lube up the communication if you're curious. Yeah. And curiosity is a thing that I think we, 
we forget to feel mm-hmm. with sex. I, th- I think when, if you're not really used to communicating, it can be really easy to write someone off as a bad lover when really maybe I'm just a bad communicator. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, I, I always ask my class if they've ever been with someone who's been quiet and uh, they were or unresponsive and uh, most people have and it's it can be unaffirming for then us to be good lovers because we're not getting the information or the feedback but most of us haven't been taught how to do that or how to articulate it or how to talk about our verbal nonverbal cues and so being able to be the one that that uh, can invite that communication can um, also uplift someone else. They can like create space and make it safe for someone to say, I like that, or I don't like that or harder or softer. Yeah. Uh, sort of modeling it by asking for what you want to Mm -hmm. create the space where it's safe for us to, to ask for, for what we want here. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, um, you know, and if you're, if there's something that you feel shy about talking about that and, you know, and, and maybe even getting what you want, that, that can really build confidence. It's like, Oh, yeah. this thing that I maybe was a little ashamed of, somebody's really into it. And you know, that, that you know, that can, that can really take you to another level. Yes. Yes. Um, in my class, uh, scent always comes up as something that people are self-conscious about. So body odor or fluid odors and, um, we've been taught, especially assigned female at birth, um, people that, you know, our, our vulvas are <laughs> just like terrible. Like they're supposed yeah. to smell like roses and lavender and like mine doesn't, it doesn't smell like a cheeseburger or roses and lavender. So it's like, it smells musky. It smells like me. It smells like a body. And, yeah. uh, but we're taught automatically that any sort of scent from a vulva is, um, dirty and needs to be sort of tamed again or managed. And so receivers of, of oral sex go into this just feeling so anxious about what they smell and taste like. And so even, you know, if your partner shares that with you and you're lucky enough to hear it, then like really emphasizing and inhaling and inhaling them and inhaling like that little sweat catcher between the groin and the thigh and giving yeah. all the good, like you smell amazing and making eye contact or touching them and just being really affirming in, in either verbal or nonverbal ways can help sort of lift someone up into relaxing a bit more and being more present in the body and the pleasure that they're receiving. God, I'm getting so turned on. (laughs) (laughs) The sweat catcher always does it. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, Oh my God. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing. We're, we're, we're so insecure about smells, but smells really like can, can be so activating and, you know, but it's, it's certainly not an accident that, you know, we, we can't just be insecure about our appearance. We also yeah. have to be insecure <laughs> about what we smell like. And we got to, we got to, you know, uh, smother that and make that disappear. Yeah. And conveniently, there's a whole industry of products for me to, <laughs> to use. Um, but yeah, it's F-D-S so hard to woman, so very confident. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> most young, of our listeners probably yeah, will the young not folks recognize on this that. Will, will not <laughs> be familiar with this ad <laughs> um yeah and it is it is such a such a piece of it that we we often 
you know, we've been trained by like media and movies and all this to think that sex is supposed to just be this magical thing that just kind of happens. Nobody talks about anything. It all just flows and everybody's getting their, their pleasure without anybody having to say anything. And we sort of, we get self-conscious about needing to ask. And I know when I've been with people who have been the sort of non-responsive, super silent, like I, I'm just sort of like in this space and you ask a few times about things and, and if they don't really say much, you're just like, uh, I just don't even know what to do here. Um, but figuring out how to ask like questions that will generate an answer right. rather than just like, does this feel good? You know, is this okay? Do you like this? You know, that you might just get a, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but like, you know, do you prefer this or this, you know, and give them two different pressures and, you know, would you like it harder? Would you like it softer? Do you want me to stay with what I'm doing? You know, do you want me to go more this direction? Like, like asking questions that need that, you know, they need to actually give you some feedback and direction can really help you, you get somewhere. And then, you know, when they, they start getting, more of what they want by actually giving you some words. It makes it easier often for them to give you more words. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good skill. Like to be really deft at, um, um, communication that your partner can respond to and, and using these sort of binary questions makes it easier for someone to respond, but also give you more specific feedback. Um, and I think a lot of times people feel, especially when they're role playing or if they're engaging in BDSM, um, that checking in or, or having these kinds of communication along the way takes them out of their roles or that you're not allowed to speak up or that you're supposed to just like, you know, someone's reading someone else's mind for what type of power exchange they want. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I don't think, I think that there's a way to kind of infuse the flavor of your dynamic into the communication and it just sort of takes practice. And, um, you know, using language like, oh, well, do, do you want more of this? Because I love doing this. And if someone says yes, and then kind of saying, well, then you should be begging for it, you know, and <laughs> like drawing out whatever their, their little like, um, you're, you're almost stroking their erotic mind at the same time that you're playing with their body. Yeah, it's like, I'm not going to keep doing this unless you tell me how you want it, you slut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Punctuate everything with your slut. <laughs> slut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think also there's um kind of a, a misconception about the possibilities that sensuality offers and sensuality kind of gets a rap for being romantic or feminine or only reserved for emotionally invested relationships. And and really sensuality is kind of just like opening up and, and paying attention to these like five little portals of pleasure that you have rolling around. And, you know, what can we add or remove to add stimulation to them and seeing if it's, it's exciting. And when you deepen sensuality, then you also become way more present in the body and you're taking in your partner's scent, you're taking in their taste, you're considering, you know, what it feels like to give pleasure and receive pleasure at the same time by enjoying their responses. Yeah. And you, um, you touched on earlier, um, about how, um, you know, how humor can be an important part. And, and a lot of people, they, they might feel like, being sex is, you know, you, you, you know, you want to be cool and you want to be in character and stuff. And, uh, you know, when really, um, 
you can get farther by relaxing, by, you know, by being playful. There's, you know, there's a lot of different flavors. It doesn't always have to be, you know, like, you know, smoldering and, you know, candlelit, you know, movie <laughs> sex. And- mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And this idea that you have to be perfect at sex yeah. and, you know, what does that look like? Um, I taught rope bondage last night and I told the class a story of where I tied my partner up and, uh, and then I went into, I was doing something else and trying to arrange something else and he managed to untie himself and I thought, damn, I shouldn't be teaching rope. And, you know, and it was this moment of like, but we laughed about it and I thought, okay, well, you're going to need a different kind of punishment because you escaped. You didn't stay where I put you. And it was yeah. really, we just kind of went with it and I, I didn't have any you know, qualms about my knot wasn't good or I didn't do it right. And, um, letting go of, of being into the exhilaration coming from like technique or performance and the exhilaration coming more from like an erotic kind of connection. And so playful is super sexy and silly is sexy. Yeah. Cause sex is, is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, well, there's a reason why kids giggle. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and a lot of the most fun sex I've had has been pretty giggly, um, and and that's one of the things when I'm when I'm teaching people like you know how to use a strap on um, and that sort of thing is like this is going to be super awkward, and you just need to be okay with that. <laughs> yes, um, you know because you've never done this before, and we have to figure out angles, and we have to do this, and you know body size, and you know all this sort of like all these little pieces that you've never had to consider, you know, if you're someone who has, you know, been the receiver as opposed to, you know, the giver of, of sex with, with a, you know, phallus of some kind and, and being able to be like, okay with like, you know, this is maybe a new partner or we're trying something new and different that like, it's going to be kind of weird and, and you need to be able to giggle about it. Absolutely. I always helicopter my dick in front of the mirror before a scrap <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's going to be so good. <laughs> Has anyone ever put on a strap on and not waggled it around? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of discipline do you have to have? Like yeah, your self-discipline like, to, to be able to do that. You have to take pretty seriously to not at least once have waggled it around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> When we've had the the, the gangbangs for my various birthdays, that have like a big group of people all wearing strap-ons, and of course we have a sword fight. Because what you know? Oh my gosh! Yeah. What else are you gonna do? My name is Enigo Montoya. <laughs> so figuring out how to um, like explore aspects of your sexuality and interests and attractions and stuff can can be a piece of both like building confidence and being like vulnerable into like how you can become more confident by embracing them. So do you want to talk a little bit about, about how like figuring out your kinks and, you know, things that you're into, whether it's butt stuff or group sex or fluid stuff or anything like that, how that can build confidence for you? Yeah, for sure. Cause I think one of the, the biggest areas where people, find that they feel unconfident in the bedroom is is definitely around their desires or their fantasies or lack of kind of knowledge of how to do the things. Um, and 
I think for a lot of us, we, we tend to focus on um, the sexual activities that we might be interested in. So we might be interested in butt stuff. We might be interested in spanking. We might be interested in role play. Um, but we forget also that there's a, a whole continuum in there and of, of how we can express spanking or, or anal. Um, and that really like how we want to feel doing any of those things and how we want our partners to feel is going to be like what the actual charge is of, of that erotic experience. Um, so even thinking about, you know, where, what do you masturbate to? And, and if it's just sort of um, something where you're zoning in on the activity, like think about like, well, you know, who is it and what do they look like and what are they wearing and what's like the focus? Is it about your bum in the spanking or is it about the fact that it's a flogger or a crop or something? Um, we can kind of pick up on nuances through our porn, through our erotica, through our spank bank um, and figure out, you know, what some of our, our storytelling is around our desires. So then it's easier to be able to articulate the, articulate them to other people. Um, and likewise, if, if your partner comes at you with, hey, I'm really into spanking, can you spank me? Um, and if you're not into it, you could kind of say, oh, I've, I've never thought about that before. Or I don't know much about it. Can you tell me more? And and if someone's just, just sort of like, well, I want to be spanked. I want to be spanked. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> information. <laughs> yeah. you know, tell me how you want to feel. Do you want to feel naughty? Do you want to feel playful? Do you want to feel pain? Um, and being able to, to kind of tease all of that out can give you more uh, also acceptance, like self-acceptance around your desires and not necessarily looking for a pathology of deviancy or um, judgment or people are going to think I'm weird. Um, you know, spanking could be sensual. And, and so you could just really enjoy touch in your bum area and, and kind of more playful. Um, yeah, I think that it does really help to kind of feel out what um, your your desires may be. And if you're not sure, to go on a little exploration. I had joined uh, FetLife when I, I came out of my marriage and um, Facebook for Kingsters. And, and <laughs> I why are people into this? <laughs> and, and from a place of genuine curiosity, I was just like, I don't get how this is pleasure. And, and so I didn't really understand. And I started chatting with people and sort of asking more like, why does this turn you on? Or what type of person turns you on to do this to you? And, and just sort of being a little bit more open-minded intellectually, if, um, if that sort of makes sense, but in, in like an erotic intellectualism and, and kind of being just like, well, what does this do for you? And why am I not into it? Yeah, and it's amazing how listening to someone describe why they're into something can kind of make you into that thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, you start to get off on their, their passion and, and their pleasure, and you want to deliver their experience to them, even if it's not something that you want done to you, but you want to be engaging and co-creating with them. Yeah. It's interesting how kind of narrow the the flavor and energy of kink is until you like actually start going into kink spaces and getting involved with the kink community. Yeah. Cause usually it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's intense and it's like very, you know, um, a, uh, uh, sort of a, a really, um, uh, you know, masculine dom and, you know, sort of, um, very, you know, uh, very aggressive and formal and stuff and, and serious and serious, and serious. <laughs> 
Um, but you know, it can, it can be so playful. It can be fun. It can be, you know, uh, fair. It can be very nurturing and affectionate, yeah. you know, like the, um, you and, and Luna talking about, well, you know, what do you, what do you want to feel when you think about these things? What are the people feeling? And, and, uh, and I think sometimes moving into kink spaces as, you know, and starting off as an observer, can maybe help you zero in on that a little bit, right? To figure out what type of uh, energy, what type of experience it is that you're actually looking for, rather than just looking at the really sort of, you know, specifically curated kink images that you might encounter on Tumblr or, you know, or on, uh, you know, in uh, mainstream pornography. That's so true. And it, it just gives you a chance to play with other people's imagination without really having to commit to doing anything. Um, and for me, like, like opening up uh, to hear other people's erotic fantasies kind of helped me discover crevices within myself that I was like, damn, I didn't know that that turned me on. <laughs> um, but it, <laughs> it took exposure to it or it took a connection with a person wanting me to learn something or try something with them. And uh, that made it safe to explore even further. And even my, my feminine dominance was something that I didn't discover until um, a few years ago. And, and it was because there was just like this plethora of submissives, like coming out of all the cracks. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, I'm like, why are there so many of them? And like, what do they want from me? Um, and I, I explored it just out of pure curiosity and to, to really understand, you know, what, what drives some submissives to express their submission in this way versus other ways. And compared to what I had been masturbating to in my submissive fantasies and, uh, my dominance didn't necessarily become something that I would identify as sexual. It was kind of like an intellectual painting wedding for a long time. And mm -hmm. until I started to really evolve and kind of self-reflect around what dominant characteristics actually speak to me and which ones am I mimicking? Cause I think they should be dominant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it is really fascinating. And especially like, it sounds like you have a, a little bit of a, yourself like I, I'm someone I, you know I don't tend to be very dominant or or toppy but what I am it's very much about service mm -hmm. and so like giving someone else what they want is how it works for me to be able to get into that space um you know for myself and so like doing that exploration of of what they want and being able to give them this thing that that they're desiring can really make it exciting for me whereas like just sort of coming in and being like, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do. Like that piece of it is just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I totally get off on being like the producer of pleasure. You know? yeah, like, it's like, Oh, you want this thing? Okay. I can give you this thing. And, and that sort of can get that piece of me. Cause then it doesn't just feel like another stressful thing that I have to figure out how to do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. The first time I, I engaged in uh, non-sexual dominance and submission, I had a clip board and the clipboard was like of stuff I brainstormed that I was gonna do and I thought I just worked it into the scene I was like okay pig I need to uh, look at my clipboard to decide what you deserve next and I'd be like shit what haven't I done yet uh, do I have <laughs> oh that is amazing yeah I've, I've definitely had had uh had scenes where you know I was I, I really wasn't sort of experiencing a lot of it because 
I just had so much that I wanted to do and was very like in my head and folk, you know, sort of focusing on, you know, how is, how is the person responding to this and checking in with them. And, and so, you know, uh, sort of really enjoying it as a, um, you know, an exercise and giving somebody else pleasure, but, you know, really not getting a lot out of it in terms of like actual, uh, sexual excitement because of, you know, yeah, like kind of running down that list and, you know, figuring out what I'm going to do next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, there's sometimes like for me, I, I didn't understand that I could connect other things that I liked, like sensuality and affection into dominance. Cause I had just seen sort of these cold, cruel kind of yes. representations and, um, and then I, then I learned about sadism. I was like, great, I found my love and, <laughs> and I'm very much a sensual sadist. So I want to hurt you so that I can kiss it better. And it, it kind of moved into this, like, again, like being a producer of pleasure, but being like in control from a, a delivery of it as well. And, um, and then I focused a lot more on the surrender of, of the submissives. And I thought, okay, like this kind of submissive does it for me. This one doesn't, I'm too lazy for this kind of submissive. that's awesome well we probably should be uh trying to wrap this up um (laughs) is there anything else you wanted to to say sort of you know uh like things about sexual confidence that we maybe haven't uh managed to touch on um i think the, the the last thing about sexual confidence is that um there's a there's a tenderness that starts to open up once you let go of of performance and and self judgment and so being really gentle with yourself as you know if you didn't like your body on Tuesday and you're just okay with it today and maybe you love it on Monday that's all okay and and these experiences are going to ebb and flow and so many different things affect how we feel about ourselves and um, from illness to you know stress to like what someone has said about us or what's happening. Um, and I, I think for me that it's been important to remember that there, um, the practices and, and just like the, the trying, even the trying to be accepting or neutral about your body is, um, a strength building thing for me. And so I have access to that resource as I start to feel, you know, maybe as if I'm not as strong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It can be so you be hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, you just kind of, you just kind of shut us up. <laughs> um, Mission accomplished. Yeah. So, why, so why don't you uh, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you? Yeah, you can find me at uh, lunamatadas.com. It's like Hakuna Matadas, but Luna. And <laughs> <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under and YouTube under the same handle. And my Etsy shop with all my fancy pasties and Peg the Patriarchy and Meditate, Medicate, Masturbate is uh, Glitter Gifts by Luna. Awesome. And we'll put links to, to all of these in the notes so that people can, can track you down there and... Um, and you also do like custom pasties sometimes. I do. I love making people's little creations for their nipples come alive. I'm actually making a <laughs> pair of uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show lips right now for someone. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> be super cute. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. It's It's been such a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally got it together to get you on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. 
The audiobook version of my book, Yelling in Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut, is now available on Audible and iTunes. It's also available on ebook and paperback. Go to Amazon.com or visit OnTheWetCoast.com for links to other marketplaces. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platforms to help more listeners find us. Just a few sentences makes a huge difference in our visibility. You can help us have more adventures to tell you about by contributing to our Patreon, patreon.com slash on the wet coast. And big, big thanks to the Patreon supporters who help us make this show possible. Follow us on Twitter at wet coast cat at serious flick at on the wet coast. Email comments or questions to contact at onthewetcoast.com. And go to onthewetcoast.com for Cat's blog, toy reviews, and more. And check out the other great sex-positive podcasts on the Swingset Network at swingset.fm. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And with our powers combined, we are the Multi-Amory Podcast. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then come check out the Multi-Amory Podcast on the Swingset Network at swingset.fm, the Swingset FM Android app, or at multiamory.com. Hi, I'm Mr. Pent, co-host of Life on the Swingset, and you're listening to a Swingset Network podcast on swingset.fm. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I don't remember. <laughs> we're really, we're really, uh, all really on the ball together. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> this is the kind of professionalism I like. It's real. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs>